everyone. Happy Thursday and welcome to this daily devotional. Thank you once again for tuning in. We are very grateful and we thank you for your daily feedback and we do our very best to make sure that the podcast is delivered to you every day and we make changes based on your encouragement, your support and your uplifting. Thank you once again. I ask that you subscribe and you share so that we can actually spread the love of God, the word of God and have as many people in our community encounter Jesus Christ. I do not have a verse of today. Instead, I have a revelation that I'd like to share, and it's one of the mysteries that have been given to us by God himself, and it's the mystery of the blood. I believe in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus Christ himself says, it is our duty as humanity to know the mysteries to the kingdom. I believe when we know these mysteries, we gain certain keys, keys that open specific doors and these doors that when are open cannot be shut for the key of David actually allows us to open these doors. These doors bring enlightenment, these doors bring victory, these doors excuse me, bring blessings and these doors, doors bring anointing. And so before we start, I'd just like to start by laying a few scriptural spiritual laws that we must understand as we reveal the mystery of the blood of Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 and this is what it says the soul that sinneth shall die the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him The other verse that I'd like us to also be familiar with is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The third law I'd like us to also be aware of is in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. And it says, for the life of a creature is in the blood And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And hence, it's no surprise that in the Old Testament, we see all the high priests making sacrifices, especially when the people of God went against God, had sin, and their sins were forgiven by sacrifices. So now we know that the life of a human being is in their blood. We also know that the consequences of sin is death. And God has given a provision that says that if we are able to shed blood, that we are able to have the atonement of sin. So let's take this story all the way back, way before Genesis. And when we go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, we see how God speaks about one of his angels called Lucifer. And we know that God created the heavens and he created the angels. And when he created the angels, he had specific angels who were close to him, who had specific strengths and abilities that they were able to execute upon the earth in helping humanity. And so Ezekiel was given a prophecy about uh, Lucifer and it's in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 11 and goes all the way down to um, uh, 19 and it talks about how Lucifer was a cherub and he was in the garden of Eden 
He had every precious stone. He was anointed. He was ordained. He was on the holy mount of God. He walked among the fiery stones. He was blameless in many ways. And he, and then he ended up having wickedness and it filled him with violence and he sinned and it drove him against the mount of God and he was expelled by God himself. He was expelled as a guardian. He was expelled as a cherub. He was expelled from the fiery stones. And as a result, his heart became proud. He was corrupted by his own wisdom. And so God says, I threw you to the earth and I made you a spectacle of you before your kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out of you and it consumed you and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching you. And so let's take it back to Revelations. In the book of Revelations chapter 12, we see, I believe in verse 7, that there was a war that broke out in heaven. And we can see this is at the helm where Satan's pride came to him and he rebelled against against God. And it says in chapter 7, the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So now we know where Satan went. And so now in the book of Genesis, when God speaks about the earth being dark, null and void, we know why, because we know who was in it. And so God has the Holy Spirit fly across and give life to the earth, bring light that shines out of darkness by the word. It shows how powerful God is. And out of that darkness, God created the world. He created humanity. And I love this because it says God created man out of the image and the likeness of himself. We were created out of the image and likeness of God. Angels were not created out of the image and the likeness of God. And that reveals to us that there is a hierarchy that has always existed, that began in the book of Genesis, that God had him as the first person. And the second person was man. And the third person was the angels, the cherubs. That tells us that we are higher than angels for we are made in the image and the likeness of God. I believe it is also in the scripture of Hebrews, if I'm not mistaken. Um, If I look through it, it is Hebrews chapter 2, I believe, where God says that he never gave angels the authority to have over the world, but he gave them abilities I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5. It says, For though in the past ages God did grant authority to angels, yet he did not put the future of the world of men under their control. And it is this world that we are now talking about. That means that angels don't have control over us. So whatever spirit of darkness, lust, frustration, financial debt, 
marital discourse, unfaithfulness, lies, dishonesty, the spirit of corruption, the spirit of evil that rules amongst the lives of people. It's not ruling because they have authority of us. It's ruling because we're either manipulated and deceived to allow it to happen, or we're ignorant about our capabilities to shun off all these principalities of darkness. And so Satan now is left with nothing. He's now in the earth. He has no dominion over it because God has given that dominion to man. And so now Satan devises a plan because he knows that the consequences of sin are death and his arch enemy is humanity. And so now he sets his eyes on Eve. The plan is to manipulate and deceive Eve so that they can all sin so God can actually kill them. And he knew that this would hurt God because God had created man in his image and his likeness. And he knows how loving God was towards us. This is God who created us. He breathed life into us. He didn't just breathe air. He breathed his life into us in order to make us exist. So that tells us how powerful of a bond we have to our Father in heaven, to our Lord Jesus Christ, to our Holy Spirit. And so Satan manipulates Eve and Adam and they sin. And we have a moment where God is roaming in Eden and he asks, where are you? That means that there was a stage in our life in the spirit that God had easy access to us. We didn't have to hide. We didn't have to be searched for. Whenever God was in Eden, he'd just find Adam and Eve. That means there was a certain realm back in the day that the presence of God was literally next to the presence of man. And that's amazing. Can you imagine that in your life, that as you exist, God exists with you? And so when Eve and Adam ate this apple and chose to fall from the glory of God, Satan was expecting their death. But before that, God asked, who made you do this? And Adam blamed Eve. And in doing so, he transferred his power and his dominion to Eve. And Eve then went on to blame the serpent. And then she transferred her power, her dominion, Adam's power and his dominion to the serpent. And who was the serpent representing? The great dragon, Satan himself. And that's how Satan gained the dominion over this earth. And so in the expectation that Adam and Eve are meant to be killed, we can see in the scriptures that they're cast out of Eden. They're given certain roles that they'll have now in life that encompass suffering for them to understand what it meant to fall short of the glory of God. And as they're leaving, God covers them with the skin from livestock. We just pass that statement quite casually, but we fail to realize that God slaughtered animals in order to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. And in the slaughtering of those animals, there was shedding of blood. So that means the shedding of blood atoned them and prevented their death. And we can see the significance of the shedding of blood even in the, 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 the following generation of Cain and Abel. 
Cain is jealous of his brother. He's he's jealous of the sacrifice that Abel has given to God. For what Abel has given to God is greatly pleasing to our Lord. And so he strikes Abel with a stone, causing him to bleed and die. And then God looks at Cain and says, where is your brother? And he says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And he says, but why is the blood of your brother speaking for justice? And it shows the significance of blood being shed. It's no surprise, as we said in the Old Testament, that sacrifices were given. It's hence no surprise in the dark world, sacrifices are also given. And so Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, tells Satan that a prophecy shall come to pass, that the seed from a woman shall bruise the head of a serpent. And so now the wonder is, when will this be? And we see through time, from the Psalms of David to the scriptures of Isaiah to the prophets that follow after him about the coming of the Messiah. And so now Jesus is born. But before he's born, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary telling him, telling her that she's going to conceive in a supernatural way that is not normal. And now we see that Jesus had to come from the Holy Spirit through the woman and not through the man. In the book of Psalms 51, David says how we are born of sin because we have the seed of Adam transferred from one generation to the next. So the sins of our forefathers are transferred to us. The natural sin that Adam had has been transferred to us. And so the seed of a man is full of sin. That's not to mean that women are not sinless because women also come from the seed of a man. But it means that Mary was a gateway for Jesus to be born. But the blood of Christ was from God himself. It never came from a man. And so when Jesus was born, he's born in the flesh. He's a child. He has no powers. He has no ability, yet he is the son of God. And Satan uses King Herod to try all ways and means to kill firstborn children in order to eliminate this prophecy that was coming to pass. And so the Holy Spirit enables the angels to come down and have Joseph and Mary sent to Bethlehem where Jesus is born. They stay for a while before they come back to Nazareth. And Jesus grows there has a quiet and simple life the only significance we see in Jesus young life is when he appears in the temple reading the scriptures reading the old testament speaking about God but not of his power we actually see the manifestation of his power when he's baptized and so God uses John the Baptist to ordain Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit so he can now have his abilities to go forth, spreading the word, the gospel, spreading the love and hope amongst humanity, cleansing the lepers, healing the sick and casting out demons. And so we can also see through the temptation of Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 when the enemy brags about having dominion in this world how else would he tell jesus i will take you to the highest point of the temple and i will show you everything that i own i will give you all this why would he say that he didn't create he didn't create earth he was never given earth he robbed it from adam and that's what he was using to tempt jesus how mocking 
can the devil be? And now we approach the season of Easter. The last supper approaches. Jesus comes to us. He's with his disciples, the 12. The 12 is significant in the Roman Empire. In the days of the Roman Empire, the 12 symbolized the government. The government, excuse me, as we all know, is a representation of the people. And so Jesus sits down with his 12, the people, me and you, and forges a new covenant. Remember, he is sinless. He doesn't have the nature of Adam. And so in the Last Supper, he says, I am giving you my body and my blood. For now there's a new formation, a new covenant that signifies the forgiveness of sin. And he asks us to do this in remembrance of him. I believe it's in Matthew 26. Now, as he does this, there is an exchange that happens. And we seem to take this for granted because there's a consummation that signifies the passion of Christ. And it actually establishes Jesus and the church as his bride. So when Jesus gave us his body and his blood, he was giving us his life, the life of God, the spirit of God. And hence, for us to receive it, we must have given something in return. And what we gave is our sin. What we gave is the sin nature of Adam. And that point in time, at the Last Supper, as Jesus was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he was the second Adam. And we were his Eve, the love of his life, the same way Eve was the love of Adam. And so, Adam took the apple out of love for Eve. And so Jesus dies for us out of the love he has for his bride, the church. And so we now see the genesis of the covenant of marriage. We now see the genesis of the covenant of being birthed anew. For when God made us one with Christ, through his death, we became anew. We are now born in the spirit of God. New bodies, new freshly beings, free from sin. And so now Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's now in the flesh. I've always asked myself, how in the world did Jesus die on the cross and yet he was the son of God and he was God himself? And it dawned on me, with that exchange, the Holy Spirit left Christ. In the garden, Jesus became flesh. And this is made so obvious from the books of Matthew and Luke, when an angel actually appeared in the garden of Gethsemane to strengthen and protect Jesus Christ. We've seen the roles of angels in the Bible. Angels came to punish or protect the Israelites. Angels came to deliver good news. Angels came to strengthen people. So, why did Jesus need an angel? He needed an angel because he was flesh. He was Adam. He no longer had the life of God. And so now Jesus is arrested and he's taken in front of Pontius Pilate. Every single person he had preached to, every person he had performed miracles on, accused him. The angel satan came and corrupted everyone and accused jesus and never did one moment jesus say they're lying 
they're not true. I have saved these people. I don't understand what they're doing to me. He never defended himself and he never transferred the blame. He took the blame the same way Satan took the blame once Eve held him responsible. And so as humanity held Christ responsible for all these sins and these accusations and these authorities, when Pontius Pilate asked Jesus to speak, Christ was quiet. And in that silence, the dominion that was once stolen from Adam was returned back to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is flogged. And in the scriptures, as it says, that there shall be flogging because there has to be shedding of blood for the remission of sins, for that blood to touch the earth. And Isaiah himself said that Jesus Christ shall see the travailing of his soul. And so Jesus is taken to Golgotha, he's crucified, and he dies. And when Jesus dies, he tells, before he dies, he tells God, it is finished, it has been accomplished. Meaning the prophecy that God made had been fulfilled on earth. Now it is to fulfill it in the spirit realm. And so in the book of Peter, in the book of Isaiah, I think it's 61. No, I believe, yeah, it's 61. Jesus goes to hell. And Jesus preaches to the dead. He preaches to those who never heard the gospel. And I believe that the prison gates were opened. The graves were opened and many saints of the old came out during his resurrection. And so the Holy Spirit comes down to hell and picks Jesus Christ with those he has preached the gospel with. And we see the manifestation of Psalms 24 verse 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you age-abiding doors so that the king of glory can come in. And the gates respond and say, who is the king of glory? And Jesus says, the Lord God mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And he says it once again, lift up your heads, O ye gates, be lifted up, you age abiding doors. Let this be a revelation for someone that not only was Jesus Christ entering the gates of heaven himself, he was opening doors that have been closed in your life for a long period of time. These are age-long captivity doors. These are doors that have been closed by your ancestry. These are doors that your parents and the generations before you could not walk through. Let this be a reminder and a conviction for you that the death and the resurrection of Jesus allowed this to happen. So whatever that has held you down, that has come from your ancestral ties, that has come from your generational ties, be it a curse, be it an infirmity, be it a way of life, alcoholism, infidelity, wasting of money, the spirit of lust, the spirit of delay, the spirit of stagnation, the spirit of financial problems. Let this be a revelation to you that when those doors were opened, those age abiding doors were broken very fast so that not only you can cross through, your family can cross through, the generations that will come after you shall cross through. But before I get to the coronation, let's just also manifest on this reflection that Jesus was the only man that was brought back by the Spirit of God back to earth and into heaven. He defied all scriptures. Now remember, Jesus called Lazarus back forth into life. 
Lazarus came to earth and that was it. Jesus is the only authority through the power of the Holy Spirit who can call a life from death into earth back to life. No prophet, no man of God can do that unless they have the power of the Holy Spirit ordained upon them by God and Jesus Christ himself. Let it also be clear that even in witchcraft and all these dark forces, they can do no such thing. Remember in the book of Samuel, Saul was very bothered that his fate was coming to pass. And he went to a witch to summon Samuel the prophet to see if he can actually have God speak to Samuel so that his fate could actually change and remember the witch got very horrified and upset that Saul had tricked her because she only managed to raise the spirit she never brought Samuel back to life it shows you the limit of which sorcery witchcraft and the wells of the enemy can bring another thing to note is even when Satan was fighting Michael for Moses's body Michael did not use his authority as an angel to get the body. He used the authority of Jesus Christ. And the reason why comes in the coronation. And so on the third day when Jesus rises again, Mary Magdalene comes forth to look for Christ in order to put incense upon his clothing so that the body cannot rot and smell and so she finds two angels and they tell her why are you here for the messiah has risen and she asks what do you mean she sees somebody next to the tomb and she thinks it's a gardener and this also hit me another revelation in the resurrection of christ mary could not notice that it was jesus and that means that the countenance the fashion, the image of Christ had changed once again. And that signifies that when we are dead and we are resurrected in Christ, the old is gone and there is a new dawn. There is a new being. There's a new image. There's a new character. There's definitely a new spirit. And so Mary says, teacher, it is you. And she wants to embrace her teacher. But Jesus tells her, you cannot cling to me for I have not finished my work. He still has to ascend to heaven. And Jesus ascends to heaven. And when he's in heaven, he stands in the highest priesthood, higher than Moses, higher than Aaron, higher than David, higher than Solomon, higher than the priests that existed on earth. He stands in the order of Melchizedek once the priest who came and appeared before Abraham. And in that highest chief priesthood, he presents his blood and places it in the tabernacle in heaven. This same tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build for the Israelites. And this blood remains fresh. It remains eternal for it has the life of God. It has the spirit of God means that it is as fresh as it was on the day that Christ placed it as it is fresh today and it will be fresh until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. It means that this life speaks for us. It means that this life cleanses us, purifies us and wipes the slate clean. Jesus stood as that high priest and said that the shedding of this blood atones all the sins and not does it only atone the sin it signifies a new covenant that can never be broken for it is eternal blood that always speaks and that means that satan in his foolery 
accused a sinless man of guilty things and he died in vain in the sense that he shouldn't have died but Jesus chose to die for us so his death was not truly vain his death had meaning for us not for him not for God but for me and you and so the coronation happens where God highly exalts the Lord our savior above every other name above the earth on earth and under the earth and he says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that is why when Michael said in the name of Jesus I rebuke you Satan when he was trying to steal Moses body Satan had to run every time the blood of Jesus speaks every principality of darkness runs away for they know the issues that they have created in the spirit realm And so Jesus comes down back on us and tells us all hail, all authority, all power, all dominion has been given unto me. For I now am seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he has placed, as Psalm David said, his enemy as his footstool. And that's why Jesus gave us the authority in his name, in his office, to trample over all scorpions and snakes. He gave us the authority to preach the gospel, to baptize in his name, to cleanse the lepers, to heal the sick, to rebuke the dead. And so when the sons of Sceva went, trying to do the same things that the disciples were doing, this demonic spirit told them, Jesus, I know. Peter, I know. But who are you? And so that's a question that you need to answer today. When you walk in the spirit realm, when the accuser comes to attack you and tell God that you deserve to die, that you deserve to be punished, what are you going to say? What is going to be your defense? Who shall be your defense? Will you stand there and say, I am so and so, these are the good things I have done on earth today? Or will you stand in all authority and all freedom and all power and all confidence and say, I stand in the name of Jesus Christ. I stand and plead the blood for the guilty have been made sinless by the blood of Jesus. And Satan can do nothing. And anytime God sees the sin that is trying to portray who you really are, he doesn't see the sin. He sees the blood. And so when you know this, you take everything that has held you down. You take every pain. You take every negative stronghold. You take every negative spirit that holds your life and you plead the blood of Jesus. And you tell them that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It is very important for us to realize that we have been given a victory in Jesus Christ. How you fight in your warfare is in the name of Jesus. You fight through the word of God and you fight with the blood of Christ. Those are your weapons of victory. And once you've established that victory, it is your job as a Christian to guard and maintain it. And that is why in Ephesians 6, when they speak of the armor of God, you're having an armor that is helping you maintain a victory that is already established. I believe it is in Isaiah 54 where Jesus Christ, God, our father, has said that he created the destroyer. 
he knows that very well. But at the same time, he says he knows he has fashioned a blacksmith who fans coals and derives a weapon that is fit for its use. And so your armor of God is fit for use. That's why when he says you speak very confidently that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, it's because you have your helmet of salvation that blocks any form of evil that tries to set a mindset that is a stronghold in your brain, in your mind, and in your soul. You carry your belt of truth that you are a child of God, you are loved by God, and he has saved you from sin, and you are saved from the death and the accusations of the destroyer. You carry your breastplate of righteousness, for you are now shielded, your heart is shielded, your body is shielded from any attempt of the enemy to say that you are full of sin and you are impure. You stand on your gospel of peace because it is the word of God that sustains you, it builds you, it gives you strength and it gives you the words to speak forth of what victory you have in Jesus Christ. You hold on to your shield of faith because it is your conviction and your persuasion of the word of God and the encounters you've had with Christ and what he has done in the word and what you have seen and what he's done in your life that gives you the conviction that he is truly indeed your Lord and Savior. And then you, you, you charge forth with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, the life of God himself as your sword and you scatter. You scatter in the name of Jesus. You scatter all those strongholds. You scatter the enemy. You scatter the words that bring you down. You scatter this fear, this anxiety, this spirit of lust, this spirit of debt, this spirit of frustration, you scatter it to the pits of hell from where they belong. And you stand forth saying that you're a child of God and you've established God, guarded and maintained your victory. Do not let the enemy think they have power of you over you. Do not think that they have power over you. Paul said that we judge angels. God said in the book of Hebrews that he never gave angels the authority to do anything or rule this world. Jesus is the only one who has that the authority and in that authority he's given unto us. And I'll end this scripture with the word of Psalm the David singer when he said in Psalms chapter 8 verse 5 that you made us a little lower than Elohim. It's lost in translation in different Bibles. We tend to think it's the angels, but no, Elohim is God. And Sam tells us that we are made lower than God. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has re-established that same hierarchy that God established in the Garden of Eden. God, man, than angels. It's very important for us to know that the death and the resurrection of Christ is all to have us restore ourselves back into the Garden of Eden, back to the life that God had destined for us, even in marriage, even in parenting, in our daily activities, to be restored to the Garden of Eden days before the fall of man. So as you go through this Easter period, 
ask yourself some crucial questions. Who are you? What does God want you to be? What are you going to do to restore yourself back into the Garden of Eden? You have been given the mystery of the blood of Jesus. It is time to establish the victory in Christ. Get your weapons and start your war. Have a lovely Easter. May God bless you. And I will see you once again for the verse of the day. Take care.